welcome everybody to all of our campuses, many throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world, wherever you might be in your dorm room or traveling or wherever you might be, maybe at home. We're just glad that you can join us and welcome you as well. Anytime we can do that, always glad to have you. And for the first time ever, it is really an honor for all of us and myself included to be able to welcome all of you at the new, brand new Anoka campus for the first time ever. Way to go. It's unbelievable. You know, three years ago, three years ago, that campus was just a dream, but thousands of people uh, from our church in Coon Rapids campus, Spring Lake Park, White Bear, Blaine, Lionel Lakes, and Woodbury campuses, we all prayed and sacrificed to make sure that there would be a church for you and your family and friends to attend there in Anoka. And because people gave and because people sacrificed, we were able to transform that dumpy old Kmart into a state-of-the-art $18 million campus, and we did, it for, we did it debt-free because of the generosity of this church. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. We have some, uh, we have some photographs from last night's services, the first two services ever from that campus. It was maxed out. We, we normally average about 1,100 people at the Coon Rapids campus for the weekend. Last night, two services, there were 2,858 people who attended. We were in overflow condition there. And I hear, I hear that this morning, again, 9 o'clock services overflow, so uh, just what God is doing there is amazing. And by the way, if this is the first time you've ever been to our church, you are sitting next to some of the most generous people that you will ever meet. And we just hope that this can be a place where you feel, where, where you feel welcome, that you can come back week after week and pursue a relationship with God at your own pace, under no pressure at all, but at your own pace. But I have to tell you my own Kmart story. True story, because <laughs> it relates to what I want to talk about today. One afternoon when I was in college, way back when, I decided to go pheasant hunting north of Anoka somewhere, actually, but all I had back then was a motorcycle. So, true story, I strapped my shotgun on the alongside the backside of my motorcycle and headed out on Highway 694, across the Twin Cities, going west. But I was low on shotgun shells, so I pulled into a Kmart, took my gun inside the store and asked them to hold it for me at the desk. Those were the days. I was in a hurry, so I bolted for the sporting goods section in my full hunting gear, looked at some shotgun shells, thought they were too expensive, so I ran back toward the exit, grabbed my gun, and left the store. Within seconds, an undercover cop came out of nowhere, grabbed me, told me to spread my legs, put my hands up. He said, where's the shotgun shells? I said, I didn't buy any. He said, right, you stole them. I said, no, I didn't. So he frisked me, full shakedown, right there in the Kmart parking lot. And I can tell you, that experience was not a blue light special <laughs> at all. It wasn't fun. But I learned it's probably not wise to strap your shotgun to your motorcycle, drive through the cities in full hunting gear, bring your gun into the store, look at a bunch of ammo, and then run out the store. I mean, you are practically asking security to arrest you, which they did. But something happened during that incident that I will never forget, and even though I wasn't guilty, I felt guilty. Even though I wasn't a thief, I sort of felt like one, and the whole thing just made me feel badly about myself. But I think that's not uncommon. I think a lot of people go through life feeling badly about themselves and don't even know why. 
A couple of weeks ago, I said something a little edgy in our staff meeting. As soon as I said it, I wished I wouldn't have said it. And for about three days, I felt guilty about that statement until a couple of staff members came out and said, man, this is the best part of the talk, <laughs> which relieved me a little bit. But I think a lot of people go through life feeling badly about themselves and really don't know why. Other people do know why. Other people have deep regrets over choices they made as teenagers or as young adults. People have regrets over an addiction to alcohol or gambling or pornography that just has a hold of them and it resulted in a failed job or marriage. And so other people do know why. They feel badly. This is the message, final message in our series called The New You. And what Paul's been trying to tell us in Romans 6 through 8 is that, that we can leave the old life of sin behind us. We can leave it. And we can start living a new life of joy and peace. Wouldn't it be amazing to get up every day and live with a joy and a peace that you can't even explain. So a couple of weeks ago, I showed you this verse to get us going here today. He, Paul says, those who live according to the sinful nature have a mindset. Their mind is set on what that sinful nature desires. But he says, those who live according to God's spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. And he says, there's an outcome either way. He says, the mind of sinful people leads to a death-like existence. Death in their relationships, death in their careers, death in their soul. People who are leading a sinful life experience death all around them. But the mind controlled by God's spirit, here it is, leads to life and peace. And then I showed you this stick person that I thought of one night. And the Bible gives lists of what sin and death look like and what life and peace look like. In Galatians 5, Paul gives this list that people who are controlled by the sinful nature, there's sexual immorality in their life. There's impure thoughts, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, lying, outbursts of anger. Anybody have outbursts of anger going on in your life? Drunkenness, wild party, sounds like modern America. And then his final word, he just says strife. I don't even know what the word means. Just, it, but I think it just means, ugh, my life just, you know, sucks. Can I say that? <laughs> Probably not. But he says the mind controlled by the sinful nature drifts this way. But he says the mind controlled by the Spirit of God. You'll see things showing up in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, a new kind of love will show up in your life. Joy, peace, kindness, happiness. Who doesn't want this? Self-control, generosity, relational wholeness, financial wellness, the Bible says, and contented living. And then Paul says, it all depends on what your mind is being controlled by. And I talked about this, this flow of information that hits us as soon as we wake up every single day. This flow of information affecting our life either that way or this way. Relationships, iPhones are on right away in the morning. Podcasts, billboards, movies, websites, you name it. There's some good stuff that you can bring into your mind. Bible reading, inspiring books, prayer, inspiring music. But these things, there's a constant stream. And what I said to you is we've got to purify this stream. 
Make sure you've got enough good stuff flowing into your mind because whatever your mind is set on will either push you this way towards sin and death or your mind that's controlled by life and peace will push you this way. So it's, it's about what's controlling your thoughts. And gang, even if you're a Christian here today, the Bible says that because of our sinful nature that doesn't go away even when we become a Christian, we will still sin at times. And so there's this spiritual battle that we have as Christian people. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. And oftentimes you as a non-Christian won't, won't experience this spiritual battle because you just kind of don't give a rip. You're over here, everything's dying around you, but you don't understand it. It's because God's spirit does not come into your life if you're, if you're not in faith with Christ. But Paul says, look, we can overcome as a Christian, if you're a Christian here, we can overcome this old life of sin and start living this new life of love, joy, peace. Wouldn't it be great to live our lives that way? But there's still a problem. Even if you start letting God's spirit control your life, you will still feel the effects of your past sin. You will. I do. You do. Even though you're completely forgiven by faith in Christ, you sometimes won't feel forgiven at times. Even though you're deeply loved by God, you won't feel loved at times. So Paul comes to Romans chapter 8, and he tries to convince us once and for all that because God loves you, you never have to feel guilty about your sins anymore, no matter what those sins were. Or you don't have to walk around the rest of your life feeling badly about yourself. You can actually live as a forgiven, free, and joyful person in Christ. So at the end of Romans 8, he says, look, if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? He's saying if God is for you and God has forgiven you and God has chosen you to be his son or daughter through faith in Christ, then who can be against you? What he's saying is God is for you. What this means is that God wants a relationship with the person who is sitting in your chair, wherever you might be sitting. God wants a relationship with that person. He wants it to be close and personal. He wants you to feel his love, to experience his presence, and free you from all of the guilt and regret that all of us carry because of sin. And that even when we sin, he wants, he wants us to know that he is for us and that he'll forgive us no matter what we've done. It means that God is for you in your marriage. And a lot of you are struggling in your marriage, but God is for you. God is for you in your challenges at work. He is for you in your struggles with temptation. But some of you, I know, have a hard time believing this because you're saying, Bob, if God is for me, then why did it get passed over at work? Why did my marriage fail? Why did we miscarry? If God is for me, why do I struggle so much with this depression? Why doesn't it seem like it sometimes that God is for me? You know, part of the answer is God gets blamed for a lot of things that aren't his fault. You know, if somebody leaves you 
or divorces you or abuses alcohol around you, that's not God's fault. That's the sin of this other person. But the other part is Romans 8.28. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, not some things, but in everything, God works for the good. Here's a qualifier. Of those who love him. God is working out good. God can take your biggest loss or your biggest regret and he can bring good from that. Not all things that happen to us are good, but God can take the hardest things that happen to us and bring good from them. I'm telling you, it's been the hard things in my own life. When I failed in preaching class, that was a fun day. That was a bad day. Failed in preaching class or didn't get accepted by some publishers, got rejected or struggled in our marriage early on. Those were the things that made me stronger and wiser and more capable in those areas today. It's been the hard things in my life that have made me who who I am, whatever I am. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is show you that because God is for you, There are three promises that you can absolutely bank on. You may not feel like these things at all times, but you can absolutely know that these three promises are true for you. And the first one is this. No one can stand against you. If your faith is in Christ, no one can stand against you. The Bible says if God is for us, who can stand? I just want to raise a question for everybody. Is anybody against you? Don't answer out loud or look around, but is anybody against you? Anybody have a family member who's against you? Or somebody at work or somebody at school? You know, maybe you're married and your husband's mother is against you. You know, she feels like you married her boy, took her place. And man, there's nothing you can do to please her because she's against you. This happens a lot, more than it should. Or, you know, you got promoted and somebody who used to be your friend at work is jealous and now they're against you or it's a parent who's against you or an in-law. I know people, I know people who have never seen their grandkids because somebody is against somebody. But they're too proud to say, I'm sorry. Let's try this over again. By the way, I've had people against me all my life. If you take a stand for morality and truth and marriage, you'll have people against you. If you try to lead something, you'll have people against you. But gang, God is for you. And if he is for you, who can stand? Nobody. If you've put your trust in Jesus and you're living obediently before him, I think this statement is so true, people might be against you but they won't be able to stand against you. Might be a coach who's against you. My my son's high school basketball coach was against him, and we we don't know why. David led his junior varsity team in scoring and defense as a junior, but he was benched for varsity games while other players played ahead of him, and it was so disheartening to him that he decided to leave high school a year early. And he did PSEO at Bethel University where he met his lifelong friends. He met his future wife. He entered law school at age 21 and now has an amazing career at a Minneapolis law firm. And now they're expecting their first baby. 
and I know his name, but I'm not supposed to tell you. <laughs> if you promise. <laughs> his name is Henry. Henry Robert. That's what I wanted to tell you. Henry Robert. Hank. Hammer and Hank. Yeah, thank you. My son and his wife are out in California, uh, so they, but I guess they have whatever. I don't know. <laughs> They're going to hear. Where was I? He never knew. He never knew why his coach was against him. But I'm telling you, it's what motivated my son to leave school, get on with his life, and excel. People were against him. They could not stand. Back in 1968, I was in eighth grade. Remember what happened in 1968? Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Remember that? 1968, I was an eighth grader at Hufford Junior High School in Joliet, Illinois, just south of Chicago. A lot of racial tension in, in the country back then. Hufford, though, my school is a predominantly white school. I was the starting point guard for our basketball team, and we got beat all the time. But in 1968, they began busing in kids from the other side of Joliet to mix it up. And we kids didn't understand it, but suddenly our basketball team was awesome. It was amazing. I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget the day Odwin Fitz walked into our tryouts, and we little white kids just stared. We, we were enamored. Odwin was a six-foot, two-inch eighth grader. Six feet, two inches tall. Walked in. He was a beast. But he had a soft spirit and great smile. And Odwin Fitz became my very best friend in eighth grade. We practiced together. We began winning games together. We ate lunch together. Came from entirely different worlds. But I grew to love him. And he loved me. One night we were playing our arch rivals, Gompers Junior High. Bad part of the city of Joliet. We hated that school. Hated going there. Odwin was usually our leading scorer, but that night at Gompers, I had the game of my life. Dropped 19 on him and won the game on the foul line at the very end. But while we were getting ready to leave, we got word that some of their players were waiting for me outside our locker room. And I was just about this high, scared to death. Never forget this. Odwin put his arm around me and said, Bob, you stay right next to me. And we'll walk right out of here. And we did. That night, 47 years ago, Odwin Fitz saved my life. Because if Odwin was for you, no one dared <laughs> stand against you. If God is for you, no one can stand. They might be against you, but they won't be able to stand. But here's this, this qualifier is so important. But never pay back evil for evil. That's what we want to do. We want to get back. We want our pound of flesh. But he says, don't do that. Live in a way that's honorable. So this person is against you. Live in a way that's honorable. Don't take revenge. Leave that up to God. God will do it. God says, I will repay in my way and in my time, don't take the bad out of my hands by taking things into your own hands. Our job is to live honorably when someone is against us and God, in his way, in his time, he will take care of that. 
Okay, second thing I want to show you today, nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate us, he says, from God's love. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenges in life. We all have challenges. Life is really, really hard. In fact, Paul admits this. He goes like this. He says, look, does it mean God doesn't love us if we have trouble? No, we're going to have trouble. Does it mean God doesn't love us if we're persecuted or hungry, cold, danger, even threatened by de death? No, he says, despite all these hardships, overwhelming victory is already ours through Jesus Christ who loves us. It means that no matter how hard life gets, this is not the end game. This is minor leagues, life on earth that the few years we have on this planet are merely the beginning to an eternal life where there is no more sadness, there is no more sorrow or loss. Paul's trying to get us to understand this eternal perspective. He says, look, during these few years on earth, you will have trouble. You may be persecuted. You may go hungry even or threatened by death. In fact, we all have a date with death. But he says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is already ours. So I want you to think of something. Think of your worst fear. It could be a job loss or loss of your health. It could be the thought of being alone. Your worst fear may be losing a child or a loved one. Maybe it's, maybe it's your own death that you fear the most. What Paul is saying to us, he's saying, look, no matter what happens to you during these 70 or 80 or 90 short years on earth, you can trust that God will make everything right for the billions and billions of years you will have in eternity. Count on it. Verse 34 says, if Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, can anything separate us from his love? He's saying that God's Eternal love will carry us through this life on into this future reality that those of us who are in Christ have. In fact, 1 Peter says it this way, because of Jesus' resurrection, we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's just waiting for us. Waiting for us. This is a really poor example, but my wife and I were on a flight recently to a warmer climate but because we get the cheapest tickets possible, they won't even assign our seats until we get to the gate. It's so annoying. And then they gave us seats way in the back that weren't even together. They gave us middle seats, and my wife's seat was four rows ahead of me. So she went up to the lady, and she said, look, are there any seats that we can get together? And the lady took our tickets, printed out new ones, and she put us right back by the toilets. She upgraded us to the toilet seats. And I'm telling you, that's how life can feel sometimes. You know, we're good people. Come on. And, you know, you pray for an upgrade, and what do you get? You get the toilet seats. But here's the thing. You're still on the plane. Oh, man. You're still flying to warmth and sun. You're on the same plane as everybody else is on, and three million Minnesotans stuck back here in the cold would love to be on the toilet seats on that plane. My point is, look, maybe you didn't get what you hoped for in life. Maybe you think you got the raw deal. Maybe it seems like everybody else is flying first class and you're stuck in the back and you're bitter about that. But here's my question. 
Are you still on the plane? As long as you're on the plane that takes you to heaven, it really doesn't matter where you sit for these few 80 or 90 years on this planet when you have billions of years waiting for you. It really doesn't matter where you sit. And I can tell you, Jesus died for you, paid for your sins, and is holding a free ticket for every person here. And I gotta tell you something about heaven. The Bible says eternity, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven is not this floaty angels and leotard. That's not what heaven is. Who wants to go there? Nobody. Heaven is as real as I'm talking to you right now. It's going to have the very best walleye fishing in the universe. It is. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Part of heaven is going to be this new earth. Yeah, the rednecks are coming up. You can hear them. Part, part of this heaven is going to be this new earth. I'm telling you. So here's, here's for the other group. It's going to have the best five-watt coffee in the universe for free. Those are the coffee snobs right there. It's going to be splendid and the best relationships and best worship you will have ever experienced. Gang, some of you, some of you will meet your son or daughter for the first time because you're miscarried and your children are waiting for you. I got to tell you, heaven is going to be this amazing thing. The minute you step into heaven, we're going to wonder what we ever saw in earth. Now, it's not to minimize our life here at all. Our life here is important. There's a reason why we're here. God has you here for a reason to make a difference in people's lives. And sometimes he'll use a hardship in your life to strengthen you. And to build something into you so you can serve him better. Because a really dangerous teaching out there is this. If God is for you, you're not going to have any problems. That's not true. It's not true. The way you know God loves you is that he sent Jesus to die for you, forgave you, and gives you a ticket to heaven that you will enjoy for billions of years. In the meantime, it's going to be a little tough. If God is for you, which means nothing can separate you from his love. Finally today, nothing can defeat you. He says, in all these things, in all this hardship and loss and difficulty, hunger and even death, in all these things, those of us who are in Christ are more than conquerors. We've already won. We've already won the deal. It means that no matter what happens to us, we're going to win in the end. Some of you feel defeated and beaten down by life, but I'm telling you, if you have Jesus in your life, you win kind of car or truck you drive, it doesn't matter. You win. Last week, my wife and I took a quick trip to Columbia, Missouri to see our new grandbaby, Maisie. Had to take her to the Waffle House first. <laughs> but her, t- <laughs> her two-year-old sister, Ibby, is just a ball and begged me to go outside and play. Bubba, outside. Bubba, outside, she'd say Endlessly, all day long. So we were out in the front yard playing and kicking a beach ball around when a young mom, a neighbor mom, came walking up the sidewalk. And she had her little girl with her, Eve. And I could tell that Ibby knew Eve, was happy to see her. But when Ibby said something to Eve, 
Eve didn't respond, and I learned that Eve was autistic. And I could tell it was heartbreaking to this mom that Eve may never talk, may never be able to play or kick a beach ball like our granddaughter could. I could see the distant stare in her eyes and the quiet questions in her heart. Why me? Why us? Why, why not someone else? Eve's challenges will define their lives for the rest of their lives. And it's not what they expected or wanted. And I don't know if Melissa, this young mom and her husband are Christians, but I want them to be. I want them to know about God's love. I want them to know that nothing can stand against them. Nothing can separate them from God's love or defeat them, not even autism. I want them to know that Eve is a masterpiece formed and loved by God and that God has a plan for her life and that it's a good plan. I want them to know that even in their greatest heartache, they can still win and that with God's help, Eve can even become their greatest joy and greatest success. And they don't have to live a defeated life. In fact, the very last verse of Romans, Paul is trying to describe in words what words can't possibly describe. He's, he's trying to tell us how great God's love is, and words can't even do it, but he tries anyway. And I want you to see what he says finally, this final verse. He says, look, nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Death cannot separate you from God's love. Life can't. Autism can't. Angels can't separate you from God's love. Demons can't. Our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Finally, he says, whether we're high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, love this phrase, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love God has for us in Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, if God is for you, no one can stand against you. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can defeat you. And I want that for every person here. I want that for Melissa and her daughter Eve and her husband. I want them to know God's love and live in God's love. And so as we come to the final thoughts for this series. If you were here a couple weeks ago, I talked about the first time I tasted gelato. Remember that Italian gelato? It was just amazing. And I said, look, once you taste gelato, your taste and desire for Kemp's ice cream will die forever. I mean, it's just, forget about it. Gelato was just so amazing. Well, the next day we got a call from Kemp's. Because the director of sales for Kemp's attends our church. And... He showed up Monday, right after I spoke, that, Monday at our church office and asked if he could have a word with me. And I thought, oh man, someone's against me. So I went down to meet him, but instead of being mad, he had an armful of Kemp's ice cream. He had, he had 64 pints 
of different flavors of ice cream and flavors I never heard of, sweet cream, espresso, mocha, strawberry, rhubarb, cobbler, 64 pints. Guy Fix showed up in his truck. Here's Guy Fix. <laughs> By the way, get a load of that name. Guy, yeah, go ahead, you can clap for him. He's a good guy. You gotta love his name, Guy Fix. <laughs> anyway, Guy Fix shows up. He shows up with 64 pints of Kemp's. He says, Bob, just taste it. <laughs> so I tried a few pints and our staff took some home. And I got to tell you, I was shocked. I never knew Kemp's could make ice cream like this because it's been like forever since I've had any. But it's just amazing. And so Paul, I'm telling you, Paul comes to the end of Romans chapter 8. And like guy six, Paul is trying to describe how good something is. How good God's love is. He says, it's so high, it's so deep, it's so amazing. I don't even have words to tell you. And sometimes you just have to taste it. And so David, in the Psalms, he says, look, taste. Taste. And see that God is good. And maybe that's what some of you need to do today. Maybe some of you have lost touch with who God is. Maybe some of you drifted from faith. Maybe somebody hurt you. Or you had a loss in your life and you think, where, God, where are you? And so you kind of left. Today I want to invite you to give God another chance. It's taste and see. I'm going to ask you, if you haven't been to church in a while, to commit to coming for four weekends. Just come. Give God a chance to speak to you. You know, get on our website and, and get into the Read Your Bible reading plan. It's fantastic. Pray a prayer. Just pray a simple prayer. God, reveal yourself to me. Speak to me. Heal me. And he will. You might have given up on God, but I'm telling you, gang, he has not given up on you. God is for you. He's for you. And for all you people at our Anoka, Anoka campus, you're not going to believe this, but Kemp's actually wanted you to taste and see that Kemp's is good. So they donated like 5,000 ice cream bars. I hope there's enough for you to enjoy and just to taste to see that Kemp's is good. <laughs> but the main thing is God is good. And so at all of our campuses, let's stand for a final prayer in this series and uh, close up. A couple questions real quickly. I know we're full. Please respect this moment, if you would. Please respect this moment. I want to ask you a question. Anybody against you? Anybody against you? God is for you. They might be against you. But if you live honorably before God, they cannot stand. They will not stand. Anybody feel defeated by something? Just kind of beaten up by life. God is for you. This is not the end of the story for you. Whatever loss, and some of you have had tremendous loss, incredible heartache, 
This is not the end of the story for you. God knows about that. And he loves you. He can restore you and heal you. So let's pray, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it speaks to the very deepest place in our, in our soul. God, I pray that you'll give us all the courage to trust that you are good, trust that you are for us. God, life is really hard, and we screw it up all the time. I do. So thank you for your forgiveness that comes to us over and over again. Help us to grow in love and joy and peace and kindness and self-control so that we can experience life and peace. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Have a great day, everybody. God bless you. Yep.